We're the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped. She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. Welcome to the Pragmatic Doulas podcast. I am Kim. And And that is Suzanne. And and that's me over there with a busted up eye and looking like hell because I stayed up and binge watched Netflix last night. (laughs) I'm jealous because I keep meaning to watch that show that you stayed up watching and binging, but I haven't started it yet because I feel too worried about watching it and worried that I'm going to do that exact thing and make bad choices. <laughs> bad choices. There you That's go. You, making bad choices over there in Ajax. <laughs> hmm. And we have two special guests with us today. Um, we have Teresa Mascari, a trainer with Kappa, and Suyin Jordan, also a trainer with Kappa. And I am so pleased to have them here today. So Teresa, do you want to introduce yourself quickly about who you are and what you do? Awesome. Yeah. So I am a labor and postpartum doula um, and I live in the Stovall area. So the greater GTA area. I've been servicing this area for about 15 years, um, but I'm also a trainer for Kappa. I joined the Kappa faculty five years ago and so I train labor doulas, I train postpartum doulas, I train childbirth educators, and I train new parent educators. So that's kind of uh, the docket of what I what I do and what I teach. Awesome. And I have to say, you're, the activities and one that, that you have are truly inspired. I would literally love to live a week in your brain just to figure out where you come up with all this stuff. But we'll get into that later. <laughs> and Suyin, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Su Yin, and I'm a postpartum doula, a sleep consultant, and a new parent educator, and I also provide breastfeeding support. Uh, my background is in midwifery. Um, I've come to Canada via the UK and Trinidad. Um, I've been a doula since 2012, since I took my first training with Kim, so <laughs> and my trainer. <laughs> And I've been, um, I also train postpartum doulas for Kappa, and uh, I've been Kappa, Kappa faculty since 2019. Oh, 18, sorry, 2018. Awesome, cool. Um, so this is great. So I thought, I mean, I wanted to do this because I thought we talk about trainings periodically on the podcast, and I thought, I mean, I've been a trainer, but it's been a while since I've been one. So I thought, let's talk of, let's talk to some actual trainers and see sort of what's going on and, and what the deal is out there in uh, doula land. But before we get to that, um, Stephanie, do you want to do the land acknowledgement, please? Yes, I do. And I'm actually going to bring it back to the land acknowledgement I did when I was in Mississauga because I was writing out a new one and trying to really touch on things that meant something to me. And then I thought I would bring it back to uh, the West End and do this one while I complete the one that really feels right for the East End. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to begin by acknowledging the land on which I have raised my family, make my living as part of the treaty lands and the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit. For thousands of years, the indigenous peoples inhabited and cared for this land. In particular, I acknowledge the territory of the Anishinaabe, the Huron-Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Ojibwe-Chippewa peoples, the land that is home to the Métis, and most recently, the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, who are direct descendants of the Mississaugas of the Credit. We have much work to do to heal those we have harmed, stolen from, and continue to fail. And let this continue to be the time. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. All right. So why don't, I mean, you guys can take turns answering the questions that we're going to throw at you. Um, But why don't you, uh, Teresa, why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell us why? Let's start with why Kappa, because even, you know, even 15 years ago, there was, you know, plenty of options, a handful of options really to choose from for your training. What made, what drew you to Kappa? 
it's so funny because so my background's in early childhood education. Um, I left that field when I got pregnant with my first and I became a stay-at-home mom for 12 years. I didn't think I'd ever go back out into the work field. My, I was very fulfilled at home. I didn't think I'd ever find a field of work that, you know, um, would woo me away from that role that I enjoyed so much. Uh, but after giving, I have four children after my last one was born and I realized I was done having kids. I was like, I need to stay plugged into this, this world, this world of labor and delivery. And I didn't know how I was going to do that. Um, because I really enjoyed being home. I didn't want to go back to work full time. I didn't, you know, I just didn't know. Um, and it was several of my friends who happened to be midwives who were like, you really need to be a doula. And I remember doing research, you know, 15 years ago, saying like, what the heck is a doula? <laughs> because 15 years ago, while there were doulas, it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. And that, you know, Kappa was one of the first ones that came up. But I remember comparing it against other organizations saying, what is it that I'm looking for in an organization? Uh, and at that time, it really was the fact that Kappa had so many varieties of trainings and certifications that I could do. Uh, even though I, my, my first step was to become a doula, I knew at some point I'd want to become a childbirth educator. I really enjoy the education piece. That's the piece that I enjoyed about being early, an early childhood educator was the education piece. So I knew at some point I'd want to do that. Um, and they were at the time, one of the only organizations that were offering that along with the doula trainings. Uh, but really with my 15 years of being with Kappa now and just seeing uh, how amazing they are and um, all of the things that uh, they offer to their members. They're very member focused. And I love that about them. Um, yeah, it just, it makes me feel comfortable and it makes me feel aligned with what they're doing. I think one of the other things I love is that Kappa is all based on an approach instead of a method. So the difference to that would be that there are some organizations that would say, you know, here's your manual, here's what you need to, this is how you run your business, this is how you need to do it. And Kappa comes in and says, you know what, we respect the fact that, you know, the clients that you're serving in your area could be different from, you know, the clients in another person's area. So the, what they're, what Kappa is coming in and saying is that, hey, here are the four things that you need to have in place for your business to, you know, fit under the Kappa, you know, um, way, the Kappa way. And really those four things are amazing, right? Using evidence-based information. I mean, that should be the foundation of any good, you know, doula uh, certifying organization. Um, embracing a positive mental attitude, which I think is great. I think we can acknowledge that labor is painful with, you know, without being really negative about it and, you know, being you know, this is the suckiest part, and just saying, hey, this is why your body is doing that, kind of looking at it in a positive way, uh, embracing a positive mental attitude, oh, I just said that one, uh, <laughs> approaching everything with a loving, non-judgmental mindset, um, that really spoke to me, I feel like that's where I live most of my life, is that I, I always believe it's not what you say, it's how you say it, um, and the non-judgmental piece really resonated with me. And then the last one is building bridges to the healthcare community um, so that we can offer our clients, you know, um, uh, resources and connecting them with the community. So I don't know, CAPA just, it spoke to me back then. And within a couple of years of being certified, I was like, someday I wanna train for them. Someday I wanna, I wanna be able to help others um, you know, influence that next generation of, of doulas and educators. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the journey that I went on to get there. I was terrified when I joined faculty. I was like, I am, I don't feel qualified to do this. <laughs> Especially after having been a stay-at-home mom for 12 years, it really, it challenged me to take that step, but um, it, it was definitely the right step for me. Awesome. Cool. Suyin, what about you? How do I follow on to that? She already said it. I know, it. right? She said right? it all. She said it all. So, <laughs> um, so my background, as I've mentioned before, is uh, nursing and midwifery. And when I came to Canada, I decided not to kind of like pursue um, that anymore. I wanted to be less on the clinical side and more on the support side. And I had a lot of transferable skills and I didn't really know um, 
where to go with all these skills that I had until somebody at, at George Brown College that had gone to do one or two of the nursing programs said to me, you know what, it sounds like, you know, if you just you know, want to support women and you have so many skills, why don't you become a doula? And like Teresa was like, doula, what is that? Because like in the UK, every woman has a midwife, right? And I used to be a midwife. So um, <clears throat> there actually is a need for doulas in the UK. But at that point in time, I didn't know what they were and they are becoming more popular there now. But um, so I researched it a little and that's how I found Kim. And she kind of persuaded me and told me about Kappa and I thought wow amazing why don't okay. I-, I feel like you say that like I coerced you <laughs> no you didn't there were two people that I approached and I didn't really know that much I didn't even touch on you know any of the others there were only two and you were so convincing and you said you know what with Kappa you can grow with them because they have so many you know, uh, programs under one roof, you only need one membership, you know, um, and what we do is amazing. So that kind of like sold me. Um, And one of the reasons why I wanted to be a a trainer was I found that there was um, a a lacking of, um, I'm Chinese, Asian, so my niche is almost the Asian community. And every week I get asked, are there any certified doulas that actually speak Cantonese or Mandarin out there, you know, apart from you? And I'm like, well, um, no. No. <laughs> think about that for a second. Um, no. No, right? Even though Suzanne's last name is Lim, which is a... <laughs> which I, get, is I get a lot of... A right? Chinese name. I got a lot of clients who I, they open the door and they see me and they're like, um, uh, because I'm only quarter Chinese, so they're like, yeah, okay, <laughs> right? So, um, so that's why I try. I that's why I train for Kappa because I want to have more, you know. Um, I want not to say I want to bump up the Asian community doulas, but there are not. There, there are none. But you right? do, so yeah. that's good. <laughs> yes, I can say that that you want to bump up the community of Asian doulas. One hundred percent. It needs bumping up. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of traditional Chinese doulas out there, but they don't have the most current information. You know, they're, they're steeped in tradition and culture, and that's all wonderful. They do all the cooking and all the foods and all the massage and, you know, a little bit of baby care, but a lot of their baby care information is kind of like way out of date, right? But, you know, who am I to tell them? But, you know, I want our new parents to, to have the most current information, to know that everything they do you know, has come some kind of some kind of evidence behind it. You know, um, so yeah, that's why I kind of like train uh, postpartum doulas because there is really a need, um, especially in the greater area of Toronto, right? Greater Toronto area. So I know that Kappa has a specific um, curriculum that you basically follow. But sorry, my phone just dropped. Um, but. Seeing, so, do you have, do you like add extra time on for to adding in sort of traditional um, scope of postpartum doulas or do you just let, leave that be? I don't add any specific ones for the Asian community, but any doulas that are interested that I've trained in the work that I do uh, with my Asian clients, I do set aside time outside of the Kappa training to go through things with them. So sometimes I do cooking classes, sometimes, you know, nice. I just teach them about it or I buy them, you know, sitting the month book or, you know, something like that, you know, um, some of the doulas that I mentor and also support the clients that I can't support because I'm the, I'm only one person. I wish I could clone myself, but I can't right now. And I've also been in conversation with Jill because, you know, a lot of um, Asian women who want to train they're not really that proficient in English. So we're in discussions as to how perhaps we can translate the into Chinese and maybe even dip our feet into China. But, um, but right now it's just like local for me. Uh, and I'm, we're still working on it. I'm still working on how I can achieve this. Um, so it's work in progress for that. 
All right. Yeah, awesome. So Jill, and, Jill is the CEO yeah. of Kappa. Just <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, nobody knows yeah. who Jill is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> CEO of Kappa. <laughs> and she's amazing. <laughs> she is really, she is really, really amazing. And I love sort of her vision and whatnot towards, you know, bringing Kappa into, you know, 2021, 2022. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love her. She's such a doll. All right. Um, so, Stephanie, Suzanne, do you have any questions that you want to throw out there? I'm kind of monopolizing. Well, um, one of the things that I was wondering about, oh, sorry, Steph, I'm just going to go first. <laughs> I was wondering, I mean, you spoke a little bit about um, <clears throat> your focus on the Asian communities, Suyin, but besides that, what is it about your training, your specific training, makes you unique. I know that you have curriculum guidelines that you need to follow from your or training organization and so on. Um, but what, give us an example of a few little things that you do in your training that makes your training unique. Well, you're putting me on the, on the spot. On the spot. That's right. That's what we do here. Yeah, I know. I know. Now I've got to think really hard. Um, so right now we're training a uh, live uh, virtual uh, kind of like through Zoom. Mm -hmm. So um, got to think about like interesting things like so, you know, with our scope of practice, we go through scenarios. So we'll put, you know, I'll get my students into like breakout rooms and we'll talk about it. And then we'll, you know, they'll have some time without me breathing down their necks, talking about things. And then we'll get together again and share um, you know, uh, what they've discussed and, and go through, you know, the, the scenarios that we've, we've discussed. Mm -hmm. um, other things we do, uh, you know, just, just getting, you know, talking about communication, which is a big piece and, and trying to get communication more open rather than close and getting more um, information out of our students. I also do some kind of, um, I do, you know, com conversation and communication exercises with them, how to change, you know, uh, questions into more open questions to, and rather less leading questions so that we're not just getting yes, no, or yes, she slept two hours or whatever kind of answers, but more finding about, you know, more finding out more details from them so that we can help support them better. Mm -hmm. And uh, what else do we do? Oh yeah, well, I kind of bring in games. So like a, like a recap as to what they've learned. So I, I get Kahoot's. Uh, I don't know if any of you have used Kahoot's and um, yep. Kahoot games just to, you know, like uh, review whether they've uh, retained anything I've said to them or, you know, I've totally missed the mark. <laughs> um, yeah, so those are a few things that I do. And Teresa has many more because uh, she's the inventive one for uh, creativity in, in um, because Kappa encourages us to, to take the content and, and, and kind of like run with it and, yeah. uh, and, you know, teach the community that we're teaching in what that community needs. So if I get a training where I get more Asian doulas in, I may, and I can, I'm allowed to change that training to suit, you know, the clients that will be their niche. You know, That's right. they will, you know, need uh, things about culture. They'll need to know about sitting the month. They'll need to know a bit about the food and, you know, don't eat any of those, you know, light green vegetables, but just eat dark green vegetables, you know, all those, those kinds of things. Yeah. I great. think, yeah, I think what's really great is that, so there are three Kappa trainers in the GTA area. There's myself, Suyin and Amy. Um, and we all three of us actually work really closely together. We try to get together like once a year and just talk about what we're doing in our trainings, what type of activities we're using so that we can like share ideas. Uh, and it's, you know, my, my vision for all the Canadian faculty to work as a team uh, so that it's not as much competition, but like, you know, I will often say, you know, I don't have a postpartum doula training for another two months, but Suyin has one coming up next month. If you want to get in sooner, you know, you can kind of kind of go see her. I think that that collaborative energy is a really positive reflection on Kappa. Uh, and I think it makes us as trainers better at what we do because you're not a lone soldier, right? Like you're not 
working alone, but we're, we're more like, um, I feel like we've got each other's back. Uh, there was even a situation where I ended up impromptu doing a training for someone uh, like a semi-private training and I happened to be on call that weekend so I was like hey Sue Yin if I get called out to this birth can you come and finish my training because I don't want to leave these people hanging um, so it's kind of neat to feel like you have comrades that can that have your back in in the area as well and I actually did that for a U.S. Um, faculty member so she had to go to a funeral at the weekend that at, where she had six hours of training that she couldn't cover. So I actually taught her students for that six hours. Um, yeah, so we are, we are one, one big family, really. Mm -hmm. I was so, wondering how did um, coming in, I mean, you guys kind of came into this training over the past few years of uh, being the trainers for the GTA. How has um, the impact, how has COVID impacted how you train your curriculum, what's really changed up um, in this period of time where you've been moved to online training? Uh, yeah, definitely the online training was a learning curve for all the faculty. Here in Canada, like we tried to, I was, I like the challenge. I was already using a lot of online resources anyways, even for my in-person trainings, but to move everything online, I was very adamant that they still had to be highly engaging. That is, that's my, that's very important to me. They're long trainings, they're 18 hours. So if you're sitting in front of a screen for 18 hours, you're getting blurry eyed very quickly. Um, I would say everyone really pitched in to make sure that we could all learn the online world. There were some faculty that were more resistant than others. Uh, I would say everyone, I mean, in, in the GTA, we, we made the shift fairly quickly uh, to online. And I, I feel like CAPA just resourced us as much as they could, allowing us to even do online. I know some, I've heard some organizations weren't making that switch to allow you to train online. Is it ideal? No, you can't replace in person. Yeah. But there are huge chunks of the curriculum that you could absolutely do online with very little impact on uh, on your quality of learning. Um, you're never going to fully replace the in-person though. I think it was a really good alternative given the situation. So, so moving, moving forward then, will you, will you continue with online? I mean, this pandemic doesn't ever seem to be ending. Um, so what are you doing in person now, or are you still doing online? Like what's, what's the future look like for that? I'm still doing online and I think Jill has said that we can carry on doing online uh, for the whole of 2022 because I don't actually have my own space so that's why I'm kind of like just keeping it online but Teresa is doing it in person I think right Teresa? Yeah so because I have a dedicated space that I can access it's a small room uh, but I'm I'm able to host I'd say Three, like if I'm still doing social distancing, I can do three in person. Uh, but my plan for 2022 is actually, I'm in the process of purchasing a smart board so that I can have in-person and online students at the same time interacting on the same activity. That was really important to me. I know the school system is getting a big slam right now for hybrid learning. So my thought was if I can have them doing the exact same activity at the exact same time, then hopefully we can eliminate some of that disconnect between the online learning and the class learning. So I'm gonna give it a try. Uh, hopefully that works well. I, I, what I loved about the online learning is that I had students from all around the world. I had someone from Belgium join one of my trainings and I thought, what a great opportunity. You like, when would I ever you know, have that opportunity? So I don't wanna give up my online access, but I really want to do in-person as well. So I've already done, uh, one in-person training. I have another one coming up before the end of the year. And then I'm fully going into the interactive online and in-person at the same time come January. Cool. Yeah. Is, um, has the actual curriculum changed? Because there's so many doulas who've also in many parts of the world had to move to virtual, virtual support. Is teaching how to support virtually now part of curriculum? What does that look like? 
I was going to say, do you want to answer that scene? I don't mind answering, but I feel like I just talked. <laughs> yeah, I think you answer it because I don't think I have, um, I think you're better at this. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, actually the manuals are all being updated right now for several reasons. And a lot of the, the manual updates are also including a virtual section. So for example, I am the uh, senior advisor for the childbirth educator program and I'm in the middle of revising that manual we have a section completely dedicated to online resources for virtual trainings which is you know separate from you know the hands-on that we do in class so yes having said that those manuals are not finished yet they're still in the process of being done so we are verbally sharing that information and most of the most of the trainers have brought that into their, their classes when they're talking to their students, because that's what they want to know. Like, how do I do this online? How do I do a postpartum visit online? Uh, and so adding sections like that, um, it has it has been happening kind of organically, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. So I imagine that was a big learning too, learning how to do it and then learning how to teach it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where I think it helps to be collaborating. The one thing that this pandemic has really done is brought all of the faculty, mem faculty members together. Um, like, so we have a Facebook group that we're in and everyone would be like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And then there's like four people who will pop in and say, hey, why don't we get in a Zoom call? We can hash it out together. I've got experience in this and I'll show you how to do it. And, you know, how, how are people dealing with, you know, virtual birth? you know and everyone's kind of taking their own they're approaching it a different way and so just not just being closed-minded to what you think virtual birth looks like but opening up your mind to what other people have for ideas and that's been really valuable awesome cool um so we'll get into some of the hard stuff so um the pandemic has unfortunately it took a pandemic to do this, um, has highlighted, you know, the racial inequalities and whatnot, even though we knew these existed, it really wasn't at the forefront, but the racial inequalities in birth work, in birth, in the postpartum period, what is CAPA doing to address those issues and, and put things right? Anybody? So, <laughs> so it's part of our it's part of our training, uh, racial disparity. It's part of the curriculum in our training. So we we do present and we do have a discussion, open discussion in class about this. And it's surprising how many people don't actually know about it. So it's a good thing that you know that it's being you know uh, highlighted. Uh, we Kappa actually has um, training for its faculty members next week so that the trainers can uh, then, you know, like cascade the training down to the students that come and take our course. So next week we have um, a three-day uh, workshop from two to five um, every day um, that is gonna, you know, give us more information and, and teach us and train us about racial disparity and racism. Um, we are striving to train more doulas of color and um, have, you know, and Kappa actually has a black doulas group. Um, some faculty members are actually giving out scholarships for doulas who, who come from, you know, uh, ethnic minorities or they work with uh, vulnerable uh, sectors of the society. So like um, in my August training, I did have a doula from BC who worked with Indigenous families, so I gave her a scholarship to come and train with me um, because I felt that it was important that you know, she continued with her great work, um, the good work that she's doing. So, you know, there are little, little things like that that, you know, Kappa members and faculty members are doing to try and address this issue. And um, yeah, and, you know, talk more about it, be open about it, you know, uh, we also have an inclusion, diversity, and equity um, delegation. Uh, quite a lot, of, uh, quite a few of our doulas are in that group, and we're working towards, you know, getting an equity statement together for Kappa, and you know, working all, you know, about all things um, to do with, you know, 
racial issues. One of the things I love about CAP is that they don't shy away from things when they come to light like this. Uh, they take time to seriously consider it, and but there are steps they took right away. So, I mean, our, our Perez scholarship has been in place for a little while. Basically, anybody four times a year quarterly, they offer a scholarship for Kappa Academy, which is like 175 US dollar value. And if you need help financially with the Kappa Academy, you can apply for this scholarship. They give it out to minimum three people every quarter. So I, I know this last quarter, there were four winners that they awarded the um, scholarship to. And that's just to help. We want people to finish certification. That's really important for Kappa that we don't just have doulas that are trained, but we have doulas that are certified and that they continue to improve themselves as they move forward. But they don't want that to be an unattainable goal. So the Prez Scholarship is one thing that they've done. Um, one of the early things that we did when all of the, the equity discussion sort of came to light was change our, uh, our vision statement. So Kappa is really founded on these imagine a world statements, uh, imagine a world where you know, everyone's encouraged to trust their bodies, those types of things. One of the first things we did was change that to have inclusive language. And that was fun. I was a part of that meeting when we were choosing the words that we would use to purposefully convey what CAPA really stands for. So that was changed almost immediately. Uh, all the manual revisions have inclusive language in them and have revised the disparity section and the cultural sensitivity section in their manuals. Some of them, some of the manuals have even already been updated. They updated just that section uh, mm -hmm. while we're working on the rest of the manual, but it's really important that we change this section to reflect what society is, is struggling with right now, what's come to light right now. Uh, I think that's really fantastic that Kappa's kind of made those steps and in moving forward and just acknowledging um, where everyone's at. I, and honestly, I'm going to say kudos. I know we already talked about Jill, but our new CEO has been only been in place for like three years and she's just breathed a, a breath of fresh air into what Kappa stands for. And the movement that's happened in the last three years in you know, addressing these issues and, and some of the issues people had with other things in the past, like, honestly, it's just been amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be on leadership in, in an organization that that's willing to make those changes. And I will say, I will say that, you know, and this isn't a, this isn't a knock to, you know, where Kappa was before, but, you know, it is true when, when Jill took over, it was like, when all this stuff came up was like, it almost felt from a Kappa member, it did feel a bit resistant that things were, I mean, I remember um, years before I stopped being a trainer, um, I think I put out a question like um, talking about racialized students and, and whatnot. And the crap that came back about me using the word racialized was like, um, no, this term came from somebody who is racialized. So I'm going to talk about them in the terms that they're using. But mm -hmm. that wall of resistance was like, what the fuck are we dealing with here? But mm -hmm. then there was this change up and Jill came on board and yeah, I mean, I don't normally say this about organizations, but it did feel like a lightning of and a lifting of a veil of, you know, that, hey, this is the world we're living in and this is what we're going to do. And this is the change. I was like, yes, thank you. I don't need to sit here in my corner of the world and be pissy and shitty about the organization that I chose. So, mm -hmm. and as I say, it's not, it's not a knock to what was happening before, because I really do feel that that was where I needed to be at the time, but there was just that sort of moment of resistance. And I thought, yeah, no shit, this, something's got to change. And it yeah. did actually fairly quickly. So that, that made me feel good about things. Yeah, Suzanne. I was going to say that uh, I think that a lot of those walls of resistance that organizations in the path, in the past, a lot of birth organization, birth work organizations had, um, you know, collectives and uh, different facilities and all the sorts of groups that work in the birth world did have a wall of resistance prior to 2020. 
uh, some of the ones that were a little bit ahead of their time, they were doing things. Yes, yes, yes. No, you know, kudos to all of them. And then the global uprising of anti-racism happened, sparked by the George Floyd incident in the United States. And people all over the world were taken to the streets to protest um, racism and discrimination. And any organization that had its head screwed on properly realized that they better get with the program and quickly or get left behind in the dust because now the resistance was on the part of the people saying, we're not putting up any longer with mm -hmm. exclusive language, subtle racism, microaggressions, overt racism, et cetera, et cetera. So it behooved a lot of groups and organizations to uh, pull their pants up, so to speak, and, and, uh, and get with it. Which is, you know, that's, I'm not saying that as a, as a negative thing, if that's what had to happen no, it's, yeah, to it's reality. water. Yeah. Reality yeah. check, and a, uh, a wake up call, whatever you want to call it. It had to happen at some point and it did in the spring of 2020. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and to Kappa's credit, um, they uh, didn't shy away from that, but not only that, they realized that everyone's at different levels. So I think when, when, you know, everything hit the fan, there were people saying, well, that doesn't really exist. And there's not racism. What are you talking about? And this, you know, white privilege and people fought against that. And Kappa said, hey, listen, we're taking a stand and we're saying that those things are not all right. And we're going to give you the information and we're going to train you. So part of what Suyin was talking about with the trainings that are coming, you know, in the next coming weeks, it's about making sure that our faculty are all in line, because this is what we need to be like, we need to be inclusive, we need to be acceptant, we need to understand our role in the discrimination in the world. And I, I applaud Kappa for not just, you know, I, I don't know, I, I feel like they're being really active in making sure that we all can understand the process. They didn't uh, just cobble us, together. They didn't just cobble together an equity statement and say, here you go, we're inclusive. That's they're right. actually doing shit about it. And, yeah. and that's helpful. And that for me, yeah. that makes me as a member, that makes me happier that that is happening. And I can feel good about being a part of an organization that's doing that. Mm. Right. Yeah. Because Kappa's, you know, we're striving to find new faculty all the time, you know, and uh, in areas that need new faculty to also cascade all this down and, you know, to, to train modulars to support the communities that need them. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kappa even went a step further. So anybody who's a Kappa member knows, or maybe even if you're not a member, you might know that Kappa has an amazing free annual conference that they do. And they've gone out of their way to make sure that they can have uh, inclusive speakers and who are dealing with the issues. Uh, so our conference that just happened, uh, it was online, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. But, um, you know, we had a speaker that was talking about how to be a size inclusive mm -hmm. birth provider, you know, and then they had another one about, you know, implicit bias and how that affects birth and uh, breast and breastfeeding and chest feeding. So I, I just think it's amazing that they're, they're not just talking about it themselves, they're bringing in these top speakers from around the world so that all of the members can get this information and stay up to date on what's happening. It's not just for faculty, it's for everyone. Um, I also wanted to, just in case our listeners get ideas, this does sound a little bit like a Kappa Love Fest. It's not, it's, we will it's not, we just happen to know these two trainers and they just happen to be Kappa trainers. It's we'll not. have other trainers too. We will have other, other trainers training. on. And if you are a trainer from another organization, hit us up. We'll talk about it. It's just, it was easiest for me to start with Kappa because that's who I know. <laughs> other training organizations do exist other you know big huge giant ones medium-sized ones and really small tiny ones exist out there too and they're out there doing uh this work in in their own unique way so we just want everybody to know that this wasn't we didn't like this isn't like no this will be this will be part of a series this will be part of a series that we do throughout the rest of 2021 and 2022 because i thought it was important i i felt like we were sitting here bad-mouthing so many training organizations i thought 
maybe we need to actually talk to them and see what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What else have we got? Um, something that we didn't mention earlier about some of the changes that CAP has been implementing, and I know this is something that in the past some Canadians have been concerned about, is the fact that, so CAP is an international program, but their manuals have been very American-centric, uh, and that was, a, that was a, a pet peeve for a lot of people and would sometimes deter them to other organizations. I think it's really great with all of our new manual updates, Canadian content is being included in them. I know I, because I'm in on the childbirth educator manual, it's literally just woven in there. Like it'll say, you know, in Canada, this is happening in the US, this is happening. Um, you know, according to the Ontario midwives, you know, this statistic is here. So it's really, basically the manuals are becoming like a North American focus as opposed to just a US focus. Uh, and I think that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. It's about damn time. Right? <laughs> right. I think, I think in the past, the thought was Canada and the US overlap enough that it didn't matter. And I remember when I joined, when I joined, when I joined the leadership team, I was like, um, actually, it does matter. It does matter. You're right. It's not different enough. I don't think we need our own manual just for, for Canada, but at the very least, we need to reflect both when we're, when we're talking about things and that that's an exciting change that's in the works right now. So we also have, um, we also have offices in India and Israel, right? So mm. even though the manual is very us centric because of the way Kappa is and because they're open to us, you know, taking, taking the information and the curriculum and then just running with what we need to run with, you know, we can always adapt. Okay, it's not in the manual, but the trainers in Israel and India could, you know, get together, get their stuff together and still, you know, cascade it onto their students. Well, in Kappa India, I believe actually has their own manual. Like they have their own version of the manual uh, and they have the ability to update the content to reflect their area. So that, that's kind of cool. I was going to say something else and you're right, it is turning into a Kappa Love Fest. I honestly, though, it's not hard to sell for me. It's not hard to sell Kappa for me. Um, but something really cool, Kappa wants you to succeed. I tell this to people when they get scared about the certification process. And they're like, what, a final exam? Oh, my goodness. And they get really overwhelmed. And I was like, listen, they want you to succeed. It's 100 multiple choice questions. It's open book. You have as much time as you want to finish it. Like you can start it now, pick it up tomorrow, keep going. Like we want you to succeed. We need to know that you know your stuff or that you know where to find your stuff. But we want you to succeed. And they've even taken that a step further. We've had students who have you know, visual impairment who have wanted to, you know, get trained, language barriers, people who have used interpreters literally to do their training because they want it so bad, but it's not offered in their language. And so CAP is in the process of making those adjustments because they want to see you succeed. They want to see you do well and to go out and make a difference in the world. That to me is showing an organization with flexibility and not is just so rigid on the, on the rules but wants to actually adapt so that they can meet your needs. So it's funny. So just as an aside, that exam. So when the, the exam part first came out, cause it didn't used to be part of it. Um, they're like, yeah, you need to do the exam, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm a trainer. What I'm certified. What I need to do a fucking exam for, but okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Literally Christmas time, sitting in my bedroom, watching um, Doctor Who whip through that thing in like 20 minutes, got like 80%. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. It's all fine. So it's not a hard exam. <laughs> yeah. It is but I mean, doable. And, and, yeah. But, but for someone new who doesn't have a lot of experience, oh, it might 100%, take some time. But it was yeah. all there. Like That's all the right. information is there. Like they're not yeah. trying to trick you. They're not trying Correct. to, right. Yeah. It's not it's not like any of the high school exams. Oh, by the way, here's, right? here's some questions on a topic we never even discussed. Here you go. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, not like that. <laughs> no, and they're all life applicable. That's what they want. They want to know that you just know what to do in that situation. So. Absolutely. And I, and yeah. I think it's good too. That's very, um, they really jumped into technology before technology was really necessary, um, which was a good option too. But let's, let's talk about you guys specifically. So why don't you, so we know that you're trainers, but let's talk about what, let's talk about what it looks like for you as far as 
your clients go and working with your clients and um, what do we have here? Like caseloads and, and all those things. Like, do you, because you're training, I know I found this difficult. I know when we talked about, you know, you can have somebody sort of jump in and do it, but you know, are you still active in birth work and um, child education and things like that? Like, how is all that going for you on top of everything? Yeah. I find it, it was a learning curve for me because up until the point that I became a trainer, birth was the most important thing, right? So if someone was in labor, everything else stopped and I would go to the birth. And now all of a sudden, training is the most important thing. So if I have someone who goes into labor while I'm at a training, I have to have a backup ready to go in advance to attend that birth because I can't just, I can't just drop out of, of my training. Like those, like that is actually the hierarchy of my work now, which was hard for me to swallow at first, especially because I trained for four different programs. And with each program, you need to have at least three trainings on the book a year. So that's 12 trainings for me. That means on any given month, I have to have a backup for at least one weekend. And clients know that in advance when I sign them on, I'm actually on call right now, uh, or I will be going on call next week, I should say, for two births. And they know I'm like, so just so that you know, like these two and a half days, you know, I have this backup ready to go. That that's been tricky. I don't love that part. I wish birth was the most important. But honestly, the trainings need to come as far as priority goes. And, and is that priority because that's where you find the joy or is that priority because of... I think it's more, I think it's more professionalism, right? I mean, if you are, cause joy, I, I do enjoy training. I really, really do enjoy training. Uh, you can't compare it to birth. I love birth. Like who doesn't love to be at a birth and see a human enter the world? Um, I don't like being on call, but I do love attending birth. So I don't know about Stephanie, but <laughs> three of us put our hands up. <laughs> I'm not so thrilled about attending births anymore. I've seen it. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done that about the t-shirt. I'm still fully in the love attending birth place. My hips, not so much. Yeah. My knees, not so much. But the being there with them and walking through that journey with them, absolutely. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah my yeah. energy levels, not so much. Yeah. No, like I love the, I love the getting to the point where you're going into labor. And then I love the part after baby is born and talking to you about that, like all that in between stuff, not so much anymore. Like I, I really, since the pandemic, I've really floated into this education side and gone, yeah, no, this is where my jam is. This is where, this is where I feel most like I can do something instead of sitting there in a chair going, yeah, you're doing a great job while my, my hamstring like basically is set on fire. So yeah, not me. It's part of my jam because I see all the overwhelm at the other end, right? You know, everybody loves the birth. Everybody's prepared for the pregnancy and the birth. The birth is celebrated and everything else. And then, you know, postpartum care is like the Cinderella of, of that, that, that whole, you know, drama right and it was the same when I was a midwife postpartum care nobody wanted to do it everybody wanted to be at birth everybody wanted to catch the babies right so I've caught lots of babies and I you know my passion is in postpartum care because I feel that I can make a difference for these women well sorry sorry for these parents mm. so what does your current practice look like now Suyin in terms of client load and how you work and so on combined with your trainings etc so you know how we say, as a postpartum doula, when you do your job really well, you work yourself. Work your way out. Mm-hmm. Work your way out. Nobody will need to, you know, like, you know, you leave your parents confident and, you know, empowered and they can go along without you. Well, some, I am most of my clients, yes, I succeed with that. But some of my clients, they just hang on to me and they don't trust anybody else. And just for, you know, just their family dynamics and everything else. So right now I do have a long-term client. I've moved from being Suyin Dula or Dula Suyin to like Suyin Poppins almost. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been with this family for a while, but because they can't let go of me and they obviously need me. Um, it has worked in really well with what I'm doing outside of doula work. Uh, well, it's still within doula work because I'm training doulas, 
I'm also in the, in the process of probably setting up a, a doula agency of some sort with my business partner, Petra. So I'm training doulas to fill this uh, <laughs> doula agency. And um, because they've given me the security of um, regular pay for another year till the end of next year. Oh, wow. This has pay. Been, what is that? That has given me secured hours. It doesn't mean that I can't look after any other clients. So if I have some repeat clients that I would love to support, I find a backup to take over from me with this family that also know this, knows this doula. She's also worked with them for, for a while. So there's only the two of us that can work with this family. And if your need is available, then I will go and do some, you know, some of my loved newborn care. Nice. <laughs> so in the meantime, you know, we're, we're trying to build up the new parent education part of our business, trying to get those classes out, um, building this agency and uh, training doulas to join our agency. Isn't that the good thing about doula work is that it doesn't have to look like a cookie cutter thing like everybody else has. It can look like however you want it. So you see these questions and whatnot on, on like, well, this is what the client wants and it but what do you want to do? Like that's, if that fits with who you are and that fits with what you want to do, then you do it. It doesn't it's matter. Business. It's your business your to, business. Yeah, to curate it and create it and put it together in whatever way, structure, shape, form that you want. It doesn't have to be just you doing birth, uh, attending births. It can be, there's so much to do in this field that you can pretty much pick and choose like, uh, like it's a buffet. It's a buffet of birth work. That's why you have a consult, right? It's not just for, you know, it's not just for the clients to see if you fit in. You want to see as a doula. Yes. What person, if you fit in, right? Yeah. And I know when you're first trained, you want to build your clientele, you want to build a reputation and such like. But if you really don't have passion for that client, you know, they're not going to, it's going to show and they're not going to leave you any testimony at the end of that, because like both parties are like, you know, not aligned, right? Mm -hmm. so most important to like, just follow your gut and say, yes, this is a client I really want to support. Yes, they are people I really want to work with. Mm -hmm. or, or I don't think so that, you know, I just can't do some of the things that they're demanding of me, right? I think yeah. new doulas need to feel comfortable saying no, like, yeah. You know, like Stephanie commented to us, you know, yesterday or whatever, that she said no to two potential clients. And it's like, wow, how yeah. did that feel? Like I, and, and I really, like I mentioned this last week, like, I really believe that at this point in time, I have no clients. Like I am not working at this point. I'm doing my teaching with the, with the hospital and that's it. And I really believe, and it's, and I'm really not, my heart isn't into promotion or anything like that, but I really do believe it's because the universe has said to me, you have a space to be right now. And that's not with birthing parents. Your space is with, you know, end of life over here. And I take comfort in that, in that I know that when I am available, when I do have, you know, this part of the journey completed, then everything is going to open up and things are going to change and be different. And I think new doulas are afraid that that's not going to happen. They're afraid that if they don't take this client and that client and that client, that it's all just going to dry up. And what was the whole point anyways? And it's like, no, just hey, look, I'm not woo woo. We've talked about this, but it is a thing, right? It is there. Teresa? Yeah, I learned that early on in my journey. I remember taking a client that I did not click with at all. And the entire birth, I was sitting there doubting myself, like, am I actually being helpful? Like, it was just such a horrible experience for me. And then I was like, I don't know if I helped them at all. And I thought, I don't ever want to do that again, which is why I have a network of doulas around me now that I can refer clients to. So if I'm at an interview and it's not connecting, I finished my interview by saying, hey, I just want you to know, I encourage you to interview several doulas. Here's a list of a few other ones that I think might be a really good fit for you. And then hopefully they, I've never had to actually say no, because that trick usually is enough that they connect with another doula on the list. And, uh, and that just saves all of us. And another doula, they won't have those same red flags that I did. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I've tried that a few times now. It's, it's served me well. I just, I don't want a birth to take away my joy. Like if it's mm-hmm. not the right client, it's going to take away my joy of what I do. And that's not worth it. And I mean, I've always said when it stops being enjoyable, when it stops being amazing, when it, when I stop losing that passion and joy for it, then that feels like I'm taking it away from them as well. And that's not fair. That's, I don't want to take anything away from them. I want them to have the amazing experience as well. That's that's great. Yeah, for sure. Which is where I am now. (laughs) It's more of like a measure of energy because I mean, we throw on the, the words passion and joy as if they're easily attainable, but it's not, I have, I it's, it's not easy to find joy in something that you need to do in order to feed your children. And I mean, very few of us have are able to do that. You know, our passion as our living, this work to me is deeply valuable and I'm good at it. And that's why I do it. And I feel like it's important, it's important, it's valuable, and I'm good at it. And that's why I do it. So, so I had decided that when, for whatever reason, I don't have the inspiration, the motivation, and the energy to do certain parts of this work, then I'll stop. It's not, for me, it's not about passion and joy, because those, come on, people, those things are fleeting. (laughs) They are, they're fleeting. You don't wake up every day feeling, Oh my gosh, I have three prenatals to do today and a class to teach. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad. No, you think, oh my God, I got two trainings to do this weekend. <laughs> you do that. That's the truth of it. But what pushes you forward is the fact that this work is important, it's valuable, and you're good at it. And you need the money. So that put we're not called the pragmatic duels for nothing. This is this is this is why. And so I had told myself that when those things didn't inspire me anymore when I had to, when I had to dig down too deep, too many times for too long to find the energy to go through with it. And that's kind of what's been happening um, for in-person births with me, that it's still valuable, important, and uh, I still need the money, but I'm having to dig down too deep to find the energy to do it. And that's why I'm reevaluating how many births I take or if I'm going to do in-person births and so on. And so every area, every aspect of my birth work life is always under that scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think that's my five-year plan. Has, although I'm like three years in because of the pandemic, things have been delayed. But my five-year plan has been to actually step away from birth like to step away from the on-call life and to move heavily into the trainings. And that's part of the reason that I'm investing financially into my trainings right now with the smart board and wanting to really promote that side of my business because I, you know, I'm not going to be able to do birth driver. And I mean, my oldest daughter just got married. I'm hoping to have grandbabies in the next two years. I want time to be with I, I have those. I have some of those already. Um, Hence the less energy for other people's babies. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And that's and that's fair. And I think that's why we need to evaluate what we're doing and yeah. what what we can do long term and what's reasonable and what's going to fill us. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Based on a quick conversation we already had today before we were chatting with you ladies, I'm thinking that a good portion of a training is teaching doula's poker face. When your client shares something with you that is so offside, how do you handle it? This needs role-playing. This alone <laughs> needs role-playing. Add that to your training curriculum. Poker face. Resting poker face. Resting poker Resting. face. <laughs> and and how do you feel about that? <laughs> how, to deliver, how to deliver that line. How to deliver that line without sounding fake. Yeah. yeah. That's why I like virtual because I can just type it and go, so how do you feel about that? (laughs) That's actually my default line for everything. How do you feel about that? How does that make you feel? You know, uh, that's always my starting position. I actually love teaching about this in my trainings because I think it's eye-opening for them. They've never thought of it before, right? Everyone wants to become a doula or become an educator often because of something they experience themselves, whether positive or negative, and they want to change that for other people. So we all go in with, with, 
biases, you know, and, and biases in and of themselves aren't bad. It's what we do with our biases that make them, you know, uh, a problem or not. So I actually love talking about, let's pick your, what's your hot topic? What gets you fuming? All right, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go find your best friend and you're going to get them to start the conversation and see if you can stay even keel and neutral during the whole conversation. And if you can't, you're not ready to discuss that topic yet. You need to go back, do a little more, like come up with a script. That's the best thing to do is to have like a default, you know, answer that you can go to and say it with a straight face. I've never called it a poker face. I kind of like that term. I may be using it in the future, just saying. Uh, but it's, people are shocked that, you know, you can do that. And that's our role. Our, our role is to be neutral. Our role is to be encouraging. Our role is to share evidence-based information in um, a positive way. <laughs> go ahead, Sian, sorry. Non-judgmental, right? <laughs> exactly. But let's be honest, it's hard. It's hard. Loving yeah. and positive, man. My bet. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard. So yeah, I got to stop saying, okay. So <laughs> like that's not literally flows out of me how I feel about that particular sentence. You're like, Again, it's why I like virtual because yeah. I don't have and to. I'm, yeah, I am one of those people where everything shows on my face. I yeah. can't, I have a very expressive face. And so it's really difficult for me, that poker face, I need like a, to take like a PhD level program and how to maintain that <laughs> poker face because it is lost on me. I don't know how to, it's very hard. So yes, virtual is great. Virtual is great. But that's why I love, how do you feel about that? Because it gives me a second a second to filter what I was going to say. Yes. I've been caught off guard. I was at a prenatal, um, I was teaching prenatal once. I had like five couples in my room and one of them pipes out about, this is before COVID, but you know, oh, my doctor said I need to get the flu shot. Should I get that now or later? And I was just really thrown off at the time. The flu shot was not something our family did. And I just, I, I was literally deer in the headlights because what I wanted to say was, they told you you had to have it and yeah. I was like okay and then I just <laughs> and then I was like okay I'm sorry let me just start over how did you feel about that but it was too late like I'd already <laughs> you'd already and it, ha <laughs> it happened to me once and I was like I need to figure out all of the things that I'm biased about that I didn't re like it had never come up in conversation before I didn't realize let me I pull up my list yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after that I was like no no hey, I need a starting with for a, everything <laughs> my alphabet of biases my, when people say can you um um give us information about circumcision that's nope. my it's a hard um, one. that's a hard one that is a really hard one for me I'm like I want to say to them you're on your own with that <laughs> no I, I'm afraid I don't have any information. Yeah, on I don't know it, anything but, about it. What yes, you, you talk to your care provider that about thing? that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a definite. Yeah. Identifying yeah. biases absolutely needs to be a, identifying your biases and then how to work with clients who express interest in the things that you are feel like that and about. Can you work with them? Yeah. And if you can't, you're asking. Mm -hmm. I find it even more important in the trainings when we're teaching, because not only are we teaching this, but we have to model it. And I'm telling you, I get students in my trainings that are so like blatantly biased about something. And I'm trying to like model how to respond because I'm like, so yeah, I, you know what? I understand that's where you're coming from. You know, some of your clients, blah, blah. And, I, and I'm trying to find a way to be like, are you seriously like that openly biased right now in this group? that we're supposed to be helping everyone like it was so I find I don't know Sian, if you've ever been caught with that but I've definitely had some students that have you know yeah, kept me on my toes I can't yeah. remember it was uh, we were on zoom and then somebody asked something and I'm I'm no poker face so you can see my face is like <laughs> expressive and somebody just said oh you know um you just did this face are you disagreeing and I'm like I, I wasn't. <laughs> I, so I don't know why I made that face. My face has a mind of its own. No, 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 no. I really, seriously, I wasn't. But you know, obviously, my face had other ideas. <laughs> Maybe I should just put a mask on. You know, <laughs> you know like I find it. 
I find it helpful. I find it helpful to just have that conversation right off the bat with my clients and let them know that I do have strong feelings. Like I'm not, we're all humans and we do have strong feelings, but that, but I am professional enough to be able to step out of my strong feelings to support you in whatever it is that you want to do. So if you see my face go, (laughs) I can switch to, hmm because I'm professional enough, but I'm not going to pretend that I feel neutral about everything. That's no, that's unrealistic. That's impossible actually. Yeah. And impossible. Yes. Awesome. So I think this was awesome. Do you, either of you have anything to promote moving forward? Because this is going to come out in a couple of weeks. So is there anything (laughs) coming up at the end of the year? Any, any, uh, trainings or anything that you've got going on where can they find your trainings uh so on my website uh www.cherryblossomdoulas.ca and uh also on instagram at cherryblossomdoulas i have a training in november november 19th to the 21st but when this comes out it might be too late to register so the next one that i have is in january and that's a different one i'm changing up a little bit i'm going to do it over two weekends 15, 16, 22nd and 23rd. And it's just five hours, five and a half hours a day. So for those people that, you know, want to have some of their weekend to enjoy for people who don't, you know, can't spend eight hours on or 10 hours on Zoom, uh, you know, yeah. So I'm breaking it that up just to see if it would work for some people and I'm hoping it will. And, you know, the offer is if you do the training and you're looking towards getting certification, then, you know, we would welcome you into our Thornhill Doulas agency. Excellent. Awesome. What about you, Teresa? Yeah, I have one training. It's November uh, 12th and uh, sorry, 13th and 14th, but again, it might be too short notice. That's a labor doula training. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of my 2022 dates are posted on my website. My website is trustyourjourney.ca. And uh, on Facebook, you can find me at Trust PPADT, postpartum doula, nope, prenatal postpartum and doula training. That's what the acronym stands for. Uh, I also have a sale going on right now. Uh, I have a promo code $50 off your training. It is SMART50, S-M-A-R-T, five zero, just kind of getting excited for my smart board. Thought I'd put a little, you know, promotion out there. Yeah, I might call on you guys when I actually start playing with my smart board to help me work out all the kinks. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> See if we can make this work. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where you can find me. Awesome, awesome. This was great. I I want to thank you so much for coming and, uh, you know, answering our questions and, you know, especially some of the harder ones. I really, I know, Suyin, you mentioned you were a little bit terrified by doing this, um, but I promise you, you know that it's no big deal. It's all right. right. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can't bite off on Zoom. That's true. No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, we can. One of we the could. advantages. Thank you so much for having us. Well, having me. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciated it. Awesome. All right, cool. So yeah, if there are any trainers out there that want to be a part of this series, that would be awesome. You just have to hit us up at the pragmatic doulas at gmail.com. And if that's it, I know we're, we're running short on time because I do have to take my daughter to school. So we will do our uh, shout out doula next week. And I hope everybody stays safe. I hope everybody enjoys the upcoming fall, winter, December, crap that's coming um i will i won't want to put on socks but i will and have a great one everybody take care bye Bye.